0: The FCPA Compliance Report is the longest-running podcast in compliance. Engaging a wide variety of compliance-related guests and topics. Each week, Tom Fox brings you the top commentators and information which will inform your compliance program going forward. Join us again for the top podcast in compliance, hosted by the voice of compliance, Tom Fox. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part series on the Airbus International Anti-Corruption Enforcement Action. Over the next five episodes, we're going to take a look at the Airbus Enforcement Action from a variety of perspectives. Jay Rosen is going to open up the five-part series and talk to us about the FCPA perspective and set the background. We then jump across the pond to Jonathan Armstrong to take a look at the... UK SFO DPA around Airbus. Mike Volkoff considers trade sanctions and the ITAR angle. Cecilia Valuz-Genkel talks to us about the French enforcement perspective and the perspective of the French compliance practitioner. And I'm going to end this week by some final reflections on what the Airbus case means for the compliance professional and for international anti-corruption investigations and enforcement going forward. I know you'll enjoy this series. So, Jonathan Armstrong, can we pick up with Jay's question about what's the perspective from the United Kingdom on the Airbus uh, resolution?
1: Yeah, I I agree with uh, many of the comments, if not all of them, that that Jay's made. I mean, I think one of the uh, essential differences between The UK historically in the US, and Jay's right that we've had DPAs for a much shorter time, um, is transparency. And we have, you know, I'm working from home today, and where there used to be carpet on the floor of my office is now uh, documents relating to the Airbus case. And the authorities have been good in releasing a lot of information and being transparent, subject to two things the French uh, blocking statute and privacy laws making that challenging, and also not wishing to prejudice the ability to um, to get a, a conviction against any of the individuals involved. And that is a live possibility, I think. Airbus have said that since 2015, they've parted company with 63 uh, top and senior managers I think we should give some credit to David Green here, the prior head of the SFO, um, as well as setting the standards of transparency with things like the Statement of Facts, uh, which in this case is 211 paragraphs long. He also invested when he was running the SFO in technology to sweat documents. Now, that technology has been used before in investigations like Rolls Royce that we spoke about before on this podcast. But we shouldn't underestimate the significance of that investment, I think, in cases like this. There were 30 million documents that the authorities uh, looked at. For um, the first time that I can recall, the specific mention of TAR, Technology Assisted Review, and e discovery type techniques to manage the investigation, but that's still a significant task to get uh, some of uh, this uh, evidence extracted from the email systems and uh, available for the judge to consider. And her judgment, of course, is very uh, reasoned, and we'll talk about some of that in a moment, and she should have credit for that as well and for the court's transparency as well. We have a 122-paragraph judgment which goes through some of the facts as well. Now, as Jay said, um, this is a case which isn't a self-report as such. Airbus got uh, export credit financing from a UK government agency called UK uh, Export Finance, and they uh, wrote in 2015 to Airbus saying that, They'd been through uh, a due diligence exercise and they'd got some concerns. They asked some questions to Airbus. And as a result, they said that they felt it appropriate to contact the SFO and said that their strong preference was, if you like, that UKEF and and Airbus go arm in arm to the SFO and talk to them about it uh, together. Um, as a result, they did that on uh, 1st of April at 2016. Just a coincidence that it was uh, all fools there here in the UK. They met with the SFO uh, or they reported the incident on, on April 1st. On 6th April, the SFO met with Airbus and on 15th of July 2016, they opened a criminal investigation and told uh, Airbus about this in early August. Uh, um, Airbus rightly made a disclosure to the financial markets. And as Jay said, the U.S. authorities and the French authorities were brought in uh, by the uh, SFO once that investigation was opened. Um, the U.K. investigation is geographically more widespread than the U.S. It relates to uh, offences in Malaysia, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, Indonesia, and Ghana. And uh, as Jay has said, it's a widespread bribery scheme over many years. Um, The investigation was extensive. The SFO have given some credit for cooperation. There was 10 meetings with the SFO, 40 employees, agents, and intermediaries were interviewed, and various documents were given to the uh, SFO, which may ordinarily be privileged. It's important to remember that there is a second investigation into an airbus unit called GPT, Special Project Management, which is ongoing. This is actually an earlier investigation having commenced in 2012, and that isn't affected by this settlement. That investigation is still going on separately. Um, I think from a UK perspective, uh, one of the interesting aspects of the judgment is the choice of charges. Now, before the Bribery Act came in, I think we predicted that most of the charges under the Act Against Corporations might be under Section 7, certainly those that led to a DPA. The significance of that, this is the, n- the new offence of failure to prevent, and our long-standing listeners will recall that what you might call the uh, hardcore offences, the uh, offences of bribing and being bribed, uh, can trace their history back to the 1800s in UK law. So the Bribery Act didn't change much in connection with the hardcore offences, but did introduce uh, this new offence of failure to prevent bribery. And the... um, There was a whole uh, political effort at the time involving uh, Ken Clarke, notably somebody who's uh, a fierce critic of of Boris Johnson, by the way. But uh, Clarke and others tried to make the Section 7 offence not attract mandatory debarment. Now, this was back in the day when the UK still respected the EU regime. And this is significant because... Uh, a debarment in one EU country can carry across to others. So the Section 7 thing is, is really significant. And it involved evidence from uh, accountants who said that thousands of jobs would be at risk in the UK, US, Germany, France, and Spain if Airbus were debarred from contracts. Uh, and for that reason, Section 7 was the most appropriate uh, offence to charge. And it was said that uh, GDP could lower by 100 billion uh, euros. And there was also concern about Boeing and Airbus effectively being a duopoly and reviewing uh, removing Airbus from tenders could lead to increased prices from government. And obviously, it's well-publicized, uh, the, the fact that um, uh, Airbus themselves have uh, other issues. So I think the fine's significant, but the damage to Airbus is not as high as it could have been, because obviously uh, debarment would have had a significant effect on the uh, business. Airbus have also agreed to pay the SFO's costs of around 5.9 million sterling. So a good day for the UK. Airbus's structure is somewhat complex. It isn't a French business wholly, as some reports have said. There's a sort of Dutch entity and a French entity and a sort of pan-European entity that, that, that controls Airbus. But I think they still had in mind the complexities of, of French law. And partly as a result of that, the supervision for this DPIA will be handled by the French authorities and it's not a conventional monitorship as such there will be a um, almost like a panel of uh, supervisors who will be involved in airbus going forward. Um, the French investigation had some overlap with the UK in places like Colombia but France led um, on China as Jay said the UK uh, the US was also involved in that Colombia Nepal. Uh, South Korea, UAE, Saudi Arabia, Taiwan, and Russia. I could touch on two other points. Um, First of all, the DPA, as I think Jay remarked, leaves the way open for prosecutions. Now, the UK's track record on that isn't great. Uh, These are prosecutions against individuals. In Rolls-Royce, there was The promise, if you like, of prosecutions against individuals uh, which didn't materialize despite some uh, challenging emails. Remember the face scrubbing email being one of my favorites. And similarly, there's been another DPA case which was in court in December which charged against the individuals called Geralt Systems where all of the individuals were acquitted. We do know, however, that there are investigations in other countries like Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, which involve criminal cases against individuals, and it's likely that all of those cases will run on. So, I don't think this is the end of the story for Airbus and some of the employees involved. And obviously, as I've said, the GPT investigation will continue. One of the other uh, elements that I thought was interesting is, and we say this whenever we see these sort of cases, the sort of semi-sophisticated nature of bribery schemes. Um, Obviously, they weren't sophisticated enough not to be unraveled. But one of the issues under investigation in Malaysia is the sponsorship of a sports team, which uh, seemed to have been cover to pay money to executives involved in an airline purchasing planes. There's uh, an investigation into a shell company controlled by the wife of an airline official in Sri Lanka, payments to a notary in Indonesia to buy property for a relative of an airline executive, and maybe two of my favorites, I'd just point out. One is coded emails referring to Van Gogh paintings when discussing bribes. And the second is one of the most complex but stupid schemes that I've seen to to uh, describe bribes, where the the payments of the bribes are described as prescriptions. So the doctor is going to prescribe the patient 164, uh, for example, which might mean that a bribe of $164,000 is going to be paid. And everyone's given a patient or doctor code name, Um, uh, pretty unsophisticated and obviously whenever you're doing a document review in investigations like that and you see emails like that, they actually do the opposite of their intended effect. They make alarm bells ring. We know that executives don't spend all their time discussing prescriptions for drugs, and that actually highlights these schemes and makes them easier to find. So, a fascinating case, I think, in uh, in many, many respects, and um, and I think in some respects, a, a victory for uh, the new regime at the SFO as well. I
0: hope you'll join us again tomorrow where Mike Volkoff takes a look at the trade sanction component of this enforcement action, specifically ITAR. This special production of the FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network, and we're proud to be a member of C-Suite Radio going forward. Please join us again tomorrow for our next episode.